You thought I was fooling around, huh? That was that was a great opening. I was getting excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Badass. Badass, I, right? You thought I was I, – These things I'm always like, what is my dad doing here, you know? <laughs> What's up, everybody? everybody Welcome to another episode yeah. of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. I have a great, great, great guest tonight. Before I bring him on, I just want to – I'll give you a little backstory, okay? Um, you all know me. You know I'm an actor. I'm a comedian. I'm a retired police officer. I started doing stand-up comedy probably uh, – I started acting first about two years after I came out of the academy, a year and a half. And then I went uh, – I started doing comedy a year after that. Um, every single time that I told another cop that I was either doing comedy or acting or both, they always asked me the same question. Oh, do you know Joe Badalamente? And I would always say, no, I haven't had the pleasure yet. If I had a nickel for every single time somebody – Ask me if I know Joe Badalamente, I could have probably bought Twitter by now. Um, I just figured I never searched him out. I never searched him out because I figured uh, even though uh, the stand-up comedy community, like there's like a, a million comics in New York City. This is the Mecca. That's where they all come to perform. Uh, there's a bus that pulls into the Port Authority once a month and uh, as many could fill to get out and chase their dreams. Um I always figured I'm going to be on the same show with Joe and then our paths will cross and we'll meet organically and we'll, we'll connect that way. Uh, well, uh, 30 years later, I still haven't met the guy, right? Yeah. So uh, the other day I'm on Facebook and I see uh, under the friend of uh, friend suggestions, Joe Badalamente. I said, wait a minute, this can't be the guy. So I uh, clicked on the picture as soon as, as soon as I saw a couple of pictures or a picture there in uniform, I said, "Man, that's him." So I I, uh, I said I, I requested his friendship, and I sent him a, a message, and then uh, he rejected me. That bastard! No, <laughs> he uh, he accepted me right away. He uh, right away, and he sent me a message. He go, "Mark, is that you?" And I said, "It's me, Papa. I'm home." <laughs> and uh, since then, we've been texting each other back and forth, and uh, kind of getting to know each other. And I want my audience to get to know you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, for, retired New York City police officer, writer, actor, extraordinary comedian. Let's welcome Joe Badalamente, folks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for That's having enough, my arm, Mark. I appreciate it. Yeah, not much. It's nice to talk to you face-to-face -face for once. And we've been texting for about a week now. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah. I remember, when, when did uh, you actually start doing stand-up? Like, when was the... The month in the year, I, it's like, you know, everybody remembers their first time. I think I was June 16th of probably, I came on in 92, probably 95. And, 94, okay, 95. so I was, yeah, I was in the rooms at the time. I mean, were you in Manhattan or where were you? Uh, I started in October of 91, officially. I had done all the police retirement parties up till then from like 87 to 91. And then in 91 in October, I walked into the New York Comedy Club, Al Martin's place. And yeah. I... Uh, Signed my name and waited, and so damn scared, like you know, freaking out. What to do? And to do an open mic? Yeah, it was five minutes. It was just a five-minute open mic, and then uh, by January, Al sent me to do my first paid gig. So from October to January, which sounds great, but it was bad because I didn't know what to do when I didn't get laughs. And the first paid gig was Ossie's Table. It's an orthodox—I don't know if it's still there—an Orthodox Jewish restaurant in Brooklyn. And uh, the owner's son came up to me and said, look, if you can get these people to smile, they're very religious people, very serious people. If they'll smile, 
you got them. They're dying laughing. Think of it like that. Yeah. So the first thing, first thing I said was, I think there might be a mistake here. Uh, my agent told me, you know, I pretended to be real nervous. Uh, my agent told me I was doing the St. Francis of Assisi father dinner, daughter, uh, father, daughter, dinner, dance, something like that. And they yeah. laughed out loud. And yeah, then my, good, my, good, the, guy, good. the guy I consider my comedy mentor, Steve Marshall. Uh, yeah, I know Steve. Steve. Uh, he years. came out of the kitchen eating his free meal that you get as the comic uh, for the night. Uh, he was the middle uh, act and he came out clapping and laughing and that made me uh, feel good. And, and that was uh, it. And I started from that. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. Very tough. Let me, uh, I'm going to show our audience just to give them a, a, a quick clip of you. You really had, uh, most of the people. A lot that of hair. Are, <laughs> you had you had hair, but you also you you were a great comic man. I got to tell you, you had especially for that 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 period of time. You looked the part, you sound the part. You had a great voice. You were really funny. I, I tuned you. it up to the part where you talked about your your day job. Here we go. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Grandpa. You don't have patience for this piece of shit. You're going to jail tonight. You're going to learn how to tap dance. Let's talk about right away. When you take the test, come on the job, they give you really weird questions. Like, you pull up to a bodega for lunch. Through the window, you see three men with shotguns, and the owner lies dead in a pool of blood. But then they'll give you two choices. A, try to handle it yourself. <laughs> I wanted to make me a sergeant right on the spot. <laughs> and they also teach us something that you guys probably don't know about. They even find out on NYTV Blue. Here's something they teach us about the academy, okay? Here's law, belief science, right? They teach something called belief philosophy. Okay, and here's something from belief philosophy. If a prisoner were to fall down a flight of stairs in the station house, <laughs> there aren't any civilians around to hear him screaming. <laughs> 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 you know what? We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. You played just enough to get me canceled. <laughs> well, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, so what year was that? That was 1997? 1997 AD. That was uh, June. That was the Toyota Comedy Festival uh, a couple of months after my daughter Kiara was born. So I had I literally had no time to go into the clubs. Uh, I literally just walked in that night and did that set. I, I literally, like an idiot, rehearsed in my living room. Just kept going over the set, going, going over the set. Uh, Andy Engel, you know Andy? Yeah. He runs the Manhattan Comedy School. He's an old friend. He invited me to come perform for that, and I did it, and it went pretty well. I was pretty happy with how that came out. He was one of the people that so, used to ask me if I met you. Oh, yeah, did you meet him yet? Did you meet him yet? Did you meet him yet? 
<laughs> not, not that so Andrew I mean, would ever facilitate the meeting, right? Of course, he would never do that. No, 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 no. Well, if I brought I fifteen people, probably. He asked me to bring fifteen people to meet you. Right, exactly. That's that's what was strange about. It. I don't know if people know that like, uh, you these pre shows they become where you bring yeah. two or two or four friends and and soon they're not your friends anymore, right? So you keep going through all your uh -huh. friends. That's probably why I know so many people, you know, because you got to keep finding new friends after a while. Let's say hello to the people in the chat. I see a couple of the names here that are just like yours. Uh, Raquel Pranzo. <laughs> Hi, Raquel. She says, "I am de I'm definitely excited for this meeting." to happen here. Thank you, Raquela. Uh, yeah. Chiara Badalamente, so excited. Oh, look at that. I know her. Dana, yeah. You should, yeah. Uh, Dana Sage. Yeah, she that's, says, uh, that's um, the other one. I got two. Okay. Chiara and Dana. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Donna B. What is Donna B? Donna B says, can't wait. Timothy Freher. Cheeto. Does that mean anything to you, Cheeto? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Cheeto part, but the Timothy, yeah. That's my very um, brilliant nephew, who's an engineer. But one who's a brilliant. What, what are you talking about? Uh, no, he was the one that said Cheeto. Oh, what are you Cheeto, saying? He said know. Cheeto. He said Timothy Freyer, Cheeto, I guess. He'll tell you later. Um, Milwaukee civilians in the house. Good evening. Uh, law enforcement friends. He says Maui Swift. Hi, Maui Swift. Milwaukee civilian. Good evening, Mark POC. CJ Sullivan. Hello, Joe Bad. Does that uh, ring a bell? Yeah, CJ Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ryan Investigative yeah. Group. Uh, Bill Ryan. You have a, you have a pleasure. Bill Ryan. Bill Ryan. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no Bill great guy. Time. What's up, Billy? Little Mermaid eighty five. That's Louisa. She says hello, everyone. Jamie Pimpletel. She says hi to Bill Ryan, not to us. Uh, let's see who else. Anybody else? Anthony job, Federico. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Federico. Hello, everyone. Nikki Bella. She says, hi, Mark. Hi, Raquela. And World of F-Joy. Woo! Let me see everybody. Did I get everybody? Oh, Peter Pranzo of Harlem Raiders fame. He says, hey, Mark and Joe and all the good uh, police off the cuff chat fans. Let me see anybody else. Did we get everybody? I think we might have got everybody. Da -da 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 -da. Alicia B. She's in the house the as well. Story? No, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I remember Alicia. You name Alicia back in the eighties, right? I remember. Yeah. yeah. What was it? What was the song? Don't break my heart. That sounds Don't right. Yeah. It was like a dance type song. Yeah. Right? Judith Lyons. Hi, Judith Lyons. So uh, let's go back to that set. Now I know you said that um, your daughter was born. How long were you doing comedy? Yeah. First of all, at that, at that all time. Right, so the open mic, the first open mic, the, I, I dated to 91, to October of 91. My wife and I were on vacation in Colorado. And I had done I had done a couple of sets at Governor's, the Eagles Tavern throughout the late 80s. But I, I don't consider them the start because they were so spaced out. And while we were on vacation, you know, when you really want to do something, it's working in the back of your mind all the time. Right. And um, mm -hmm. I was scared. I was really afraid. I mean, I, I the governor's sets went OK. The police parties went very easy, the retirement promotion parties, because you got 100, 200 cops in the room. You can basically say, pull my finger, you're going to get a laugh. But I would do impressions of all the bosses and the, the bigger personalities in the precincts. And then in, uh, on that vacation in Colorado one night, I had a dream. Jay Leno, I don't know if a lot of the younger people will know who he is but anymore, mm -hmm. but Jay Leno had been hosting The Tonight Show all the time, and he was one of my favorite comics at the time. He was more edgy back then. I had a dream that he was standing by the curtain and The Tonight Show music came up. 
And uh, he goes, all right, we're on. And he walked through the curtain and I woke up. So I took that as a sign. And when I got back, I called Andy Engel. And I said, listen, give me a... I knew him from the park, from Meta Meta Philharmonic on the Great Lawn. That's how tough it is in Central Park, you know. And he gave me a <laughs> list of the open mics. And I, I showed up at the New York Comedy Club, Al Martin's Club. And it was on 49th. And the, the great thing about that room, it used to be called the Upper Room. And because it was up that flight of stairs... And Sinatra used to perform there back in the, uh, wow. in the 40s. I think when he was having his, uh, you know, before From Here to Eternity came, uh, made him a yeah, star yeah. again. Um, and I did the I did the open mic and I uh, didn't stop. From there, I just kept going. And so from 91 to 97, um, pretty steadily. And that's when I met John DeResta. And uh, mm -hmm. we were in the New York's uh, Funniest Cop Competition at Stand Up New York in mm -hmm. January of 93. And wow. I won the first show. Uh, he won the second show and there was no third show. So he got the, the title of New York's funniest cop. And I got, uh -huh. you know, the one way ticket to Palookaville, like they say. Uh, <laughs> but he and I were really the only ones who showed up who kind of knew what we were doing. Everybody else uh, was pretty much just doing shots at the bar to get the courage to get up on stage. I remember one or two guys were OK, but uh, it was obvious when John got up, he knew what he was doing. He, he was a pro mm -hmm. from day one. A lot of confidence. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I had been doing it. So for me, it was it was and John Mulroney was the host. Yeah. And one of the judges was um, Louis C.K. speaking about being wow. canceled. And he told me mm -hmm. I was funny, which was very it was, an, you know, for a young guy. I knew who he was, but he wasn't a star mm -hmm. yet. He pulled me to the side. And he said, hey, dude, you're funny. He gave me the thumbs up. And I've been carrying that with me for 30 years, Mark. 30 mm -hmm. years. I've been carrying Louis C.K. right here. So I'm glad to see he's on his way back now. Me too. Yeah, Me too, definitely. definitely. Um, just watching that set, I well, but still, well, what? Well, how many years do you have in at that at, on that set? Because it's really good. You see, so really six, polished, six years, roughly. Yeah, that's you, know? you well, have you know, a nice funny. voice. I, I, thank you. I, 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 it it means a lot. Like you know, having a now good I look voice. like uh, Nicholas Cage forgot to go to hair and makeup. That's what I look like now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you went right to the set to start filming and forgot to go. Uh -huh. um, it, I think I've always been like a, a decent actor. I, I, by then I had taken some acting classes. Um, and I think that is a big part of stand up, even though eventually you're supposed to be yourself on stage. Right. But mm -hmm. you're still performing. Right. So um, I think that helped a lot. And then eventually I studied with uh, Joanna Bexon at her studios yeah. in Manhattan. And that was after that set, but that helped me a lot doing the one man show. Um, that was really uh, just learning a little bit of technique. She teaches Meisner and she studied with um, Stanford Meisner herself. And I found that to be very helpful to like, you know, put something into your head quickly if you have to make a change, especially doing, you know, like a one man show as opposed to stand up. Yep. Yeah, it's so funny how how many names you mentioned. And I knew every single one of them. Steve Marshall, yeah. um, Al, uh, uh, Louis C.K., all of them. You name it. I, yeah. I, we are, are we definitely travel the same um, the same circles. Now, how many how much time did you have on the job before you started doing stand up? So I would say my first, uh, well, six years for the first open mic, for the first, what I said, the New York Comedy Club. Uh, no, I'm saying, you be, how long were you on a uh, cop for? I came on in 85, July of 85. So I had six so years on the job when I did that. And then you started doing one. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, yeah, I was too afraid. I was so, I was petrified. I have a $1,000 standing offer to both my daughters to do an open mic because I know that doing that is such a, in Manhattan, it's got to be in Manhattan, maybe Brooklyn. Because it's so tough to do that. It's not, mm -hmm. it's to public speaking what 
I mean, it's, it is public speaking, but it, you know, it's a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, like I said, the governor's sets were, they went well, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, Manhattan centric doing that first mm -hmm. Manhattan show. I felt like I had done something important to myself. It made me feel like, mm -hmm. you know, growing up on Carlin and Pryor and all those guys. And, you know, you always saw the old clips from the sixties of the rooms in Manhattan, uh, Woody Allen. So, uh, I'm sorry. I'm not answering, you know. I felt the same way um, go, traveling down to the West Village where I yep. spent the better part of 10 years in my early comedy career. I literally getting up on stage four or five, six times a night going from wow. one club to another within a two block radius. That what be, rooms uh, were you doing down there? Like I was doing the Boston Comedy Club. They had like three okay. shows, right? And then yep. I'd walk around the corner um, and... You know, there would be uh, some bar had a show and then another one. So in between my three shows over there, I'd run and grab another spot. Sometimes I'd, I'd venture out a little further and have to rush back. But um, we're talking so about you doing do, a you lot. Getting, you were getting paid for these sets? A lot, yeah. I mean, oh, it took wow. me so you a couple. Of, well, it took me probably like um, two or three years before I, I started getting paid. I, yeah, but that's I good started, um, That's really good. Yeah, I mean, what happened was uh, the Boston Comedy Club used to have um, an urban show. See, what okay. happened was when I first started, I, um, I I was an actor as well. And I had read this uh, article in the backstage newspaper about uh, this uh, comedy group that was forming. This guy was looking for comedians. So I wrote what I thought was jokes. They were more like stories. And this guy had rented out a, a space on the west side, like uh, where you'd go rehearse, a rehearsal space. Five or six people showed up. We all made this group. It was called the Doc Livingston Comedy Posse. And he had a place for us already to perform in Brooklyn. It was called um, wow. the Palm Court. And uh, we did one show there. And then by the time he came around to do the second show, a comedian who had way more experience than us named Donnell Rollins, who's a big shot right now. Uh, shows up and you know that used to be his room and they had shut down for renovation and they built it up they switched owners so he came back and he started talking to this guy uh who was the promoter and by the following by the third week he was hosting the room at that point and okay. um he he was um bringing his own friends and out of the whole doc livingston comedy posse um you know only half of us got up that night Right. Uh, that sucks. And that sucks. Um, and then I came back the next week because I was one of them. And then I uh, it was just me or me or one other. And I got up again and I was the only one that Donnell was putting up. He was the only one that I was the only one that he thought was funny. So right. um, and that was it. That was it. I started meeting everybody. It was for lack of a better word. It was a black room. Uh, you know, there's a million different words, urban rooms that they they were right, right. coining yeah. it before that. It was chitling rooms. Um, but, you know, you name it, every single, you know, uh, I mean, J.B. Smooth used to come there and uh, wow. all the big names in comedy that you that we yeah. know now I, I met performing there. And from there, this guy, Rudy Rush, he said to me, uh, oh, you know, they do a thing on Sunday night at the Boston. It's a black show. And that was the most okay. crowded show they had all week packed. You couldn't even you couldn't even watch the show from upstairs. You had to go sit in that uh, bar downstairs. Right. Um, the Dublin Dublin Inn, I think it was cool. 
And uh, I, I was, I'd sit down there, and then he'd be like, DeMeo, you're next. And be like, oh, okay. And then I, you know, you run upstairs, yeah. and first you got like two or three minutes. And I'm talking Wait, about so you, the you, place. You weren't allowed to watch the other comics before you. There was on, no room. Could, there was because. So you didn't even was, know if you were repeating something. You could hear them. No, no. Oh, no, you no, could no, hear no, them. Okay, no. good, good. But they, well, I was doing what's called the New Jack spot. They had like oh, okay. two or three New Jacks. You got like two minutes or three minutes, depending on how well you were doing. Right. And I would go, and I would go uh, at least once, twice a month there, get up. And before you know it, I went from doing two minutes to four minutes to six minutes. And then one day they just left me up there before they started, which was the regular show. Another host yeah. used to come up and start the professional show after that. And um, I was just like, man, I got I, I to gotta start getting paid from these guys from now on. Because the next yeah. show, those people were getting paid the second half. I wanted to get paid. So I left. And you're on you're yeah. on the job at the time. Yeah, yeah. I wow. left the so urban you're rooms. Up for day tours. Wow. Yeah, I left the urban rooms and I went back to the comedy club scene. And once again, I, I was I was at New York Comedy Club and I used to um I just used to hang out. And there was a, a great manager there named Linda Cork. Her son, oh, yeah, Paulie James. Paulie owns yep. uh, these uh Paulie James uh sandwich shops in LA now. And he's doing oh, wow. really well for himself. I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but shout out to Paulie James. God bless you. I'm happy that, that you're doing well. His mother was great to me. You know, she had a really raspy voice. And whenever they came up to the check spot, and for our audience that doesn't know, that's like the worst spot to get on a show because that's when everybody gets their checks and people are talking. And, uh, you know, you got to try to win them over. But whenever it came time to the check spot, Chris Murphy, who usually was hosting, you know, know Chris, Chris Murphy, right? Yeah, long red hair. At the yeah, time. he liked me too, and me and Chris were friends. Yeah, he's and a good guy. He'd ask me if I want to go up. I said, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, let me just make sure with Linda." And he, what he would do to Linda, go, um, "Linda, we need somebody for the checks. Who, who should I get?" And she'd look around, and there would be like two or three new comics, and she go, "Put the Mayo up." <laughs> so, <laughs> the Mayo, you're going on next. All right. So then I go see, up, and but that's how you learned. You you were like you were in the trenches. You, that's good. Because it only gets better after that. You know, that's why I said earlier that I did so well right out of the box. And uh, mm -hmm. Andy Engel, actually, one night at New York Comedy Club, had an, had an open mic or a pre-show, it might have been. And, th and this is the, still the upper room there. Uh, the comics were, like, watching me from the bar, looking through the window. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, did you see the comics watching you? That's a good sign. But the first time I bombed, I was so mm -hmm. far into it that I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to do crowd work. I didn't know how to get them back. Mm -hmm. And it just points to that 10,000 hour thing, you know, about doing 10,000 hours of anything makes you a master. You it sounds like you did that. And I didn't do that. So I got by on, um, you know, if there is a, such a thing called talent, now, let me tell you something, there is, I did a, you know, I did a show in Teaneck last week for the Teaneck cops. And uh, I wow, bought they have their own police department. huh? Yeah. 90, wow, you bombed. Guys. With yeah pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How did and you feel? It was, it was, uh, I felt horrible. I mean, I got paid really, yeah. really good money. It wasn't really my fault. I mean, they, you know, right. they hadn't seen each other in a long time. Um, and they were doing this whole thing for the vet. You well, know, even for, you blame uh, the cops. Yeah, yeah, the that. retirees. Even you blame them. And, um, you know, I, listen, I, when I say I bombed, was I getting laughs? Yeah. But it was sputtering. Right. I could, I never got into them, into the frenzy the, the way I'm used to getting them. My bombing right. is different than other people's bombing. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Exactly. My bombing is like I'm looking at these people. I gave you a joke that usually I gotta I gotta take a step back or smoke a cigarette, come back, and then you when you're done laughing, I'll come back. Yes. 
You know what I'm saying? But it yeah, wasn't. Yeah. It was just chuckles and um and it, it wasn't that great. So listen, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. I always say there's a bomb coming, right? You know, there's a there's one coming. Like it, it usually yeah. now it spreads out. So you know if you go in like three, four months without eating your balls, one's coming up soon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard Seinfeld say the same thing, right? So yeah, and I've gotten a, and I know you've performed at Gotham, and oh yeah, uh, he uses yeah he uses that club as his gym basically. And I got to watch mm -hmm. him two years ago, right before the pandemic. I was working for Chris Mazzilli, and I uh, was going in there doing security, especially on the nights when they knew somebody might be dropping by. And I watched him prepare his last next Netflix special, probably mm -hmm. over a six month period. It was a masterclass watching him try the same bits in different mm -hmm. ways and not caring whether he got the laugh and, you know, but, but there were times when the jokes just fell, but then I saw mm -hmm. him do it the next night, slightly differently changed a punchline from saying lion to hyena. And that got a laugh, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, man, it's uh, it, it's tough. It really is tough. I give you a lot of credit. I mean, you, you went through like uh, the Vietnam of stand-up comedy going to all those small clubs in the village and going around and uh, good for you. If I tell you, you <laughs> some of the places that I was so disciplined, I was so eager. I, I wanted it so, so bad. I sacrificed everything. You name it, family, friends, uh, downtime, time with my kids, you name it. Like I put it this way. There was a room on Monday night. Um, in in uh, Canarsie, was it Canarsie or Coney, Coney Island, Brooklyn, called Footprints, all mm -hmm. Jamaican. Um, and uh, I used to go, and I used to say to myself, "What the? What is these people doing here on Monday night? The show starts at midnight. What are they doing?" And then uh, my third time there, they used to give a pay a hundred bucks. So I'm not gonna say none of that. So I I wow, yeah. drive all the way there, get my hundred bucks, do my spot, and one night. Just like eavesdropping in somebody else's conversation, I heard them talking about, oh, yeah, you got overtime, whatever. And I'm like looking around and it dawned on me. All these people are corrections officers, they're cops, the EMS, everybody who gets off at, at midnight. Sure, you know what I'm sure. saying? It makes sense. Sanitation it's coming guys here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. You know, it was a very, very urban audience, but um, they were all city workers and they were all coming off after the four to 12 and they wanted to get a couple of drinks and have some laughs. And then once I got that and I understood what they were there for. Right. Um, oh, one thing I want to mention, too, is I never talked about being a cop until I retired. I was going to ask was, you that. Yeah. Never. I, I had to come yeah. up with like uh, a different, different act. You know what it's I'm saying? It's tough. It's tough. Well, an act, a this. regular, a regular comics act. Knowing yeah. and everybody always used to tell me, they'd say, why don't you talk about your police job? This, that, and the other. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't scared of the audience's response. I was scared uh, that the job would tell me I can't do it anymore. Right, right. Because uh, did you ever put in I, the off duty, the off duty employment? I, fi I finally did. I finally came across a, a boss that he uh, he pulled me in uh, to his unit where I was, so I could do my comedy at night. It was steady right. days, um, weekends off. It was perfect for me. And he was a fan of my comedy, but he said, you got to put in for your off-duty employment. Yeah. So at the time, I was in the Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. So I just put down, I'm an entertainer. I'm in the Screen Actors Guild. There's one question in there that asks you, where do you perform this, that, and the other? But it didn't really fit because it's not like a steady job where you can just do it one place. So that I could leave blank. But from that point on, 
I was set. And the truth is, um, everybody uh, was really, really nice to me on the job. Nobody, because I was always thinking that people were going to like try to get me to stop. Somebody was going to be jealous. And it was quite the contrary. The job was very, very supportive. I never had anybody who was uh, who was trying to derail me. Um, as a matter of, you know, I, I used to work in the same building, Chief O'Neill, um, before, you know, uh, before he became uh, chief of the department. Um, he um, and he used to ask. I used to give him a DVD all the time uh, whenever I had a new one because he was a fan, too. So what the job was, was that, great. That was after he was the CEO in the park. He probably well, asked you if you knew me as well. Probably did. From, uh, 98 to oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So he came to oh, see yeah. my one-man show. He was very, very supportive. Very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. bright guy, too. You know, always reading. Yeah, yeah. Good, always, good yeah. guy. I really yeah, enjoyed his company. Guy. He was very, very, yeah. very smart, and he liked my comedy as well. And um, speaking of the job, you worked in Central Park. How long did you work in Central Park? So got there right out of, uh, right out of NSU. NSU is field training for people who aren't familiar with the term Neighborhood Stabilization Unit. Uh, graduated from the academy in December of 1985 went right into field training in Brooklyn South, NSU 11. And uh, in July was the 100th centennial of the Statue of Liberty. And we got used and abused for that for days before and after 12-hour tours. It was similar, you know, to Ground Zero. They had us doing 12-hour tours probably a few days before the 4th of July, a few days after. And the funny thing is, I was at a, uh, they flew us from Brooklyn to Central Park, end of June, for a, a Romeo and Juliet ballet on the Great Lawn. And back then, the, the lawn was a dust bowl. They hadn't fixed it up. And I'm walking across the Great Lawn with a bunch of cops, and the wind is blowing dust all over our uniforms. And I actually said this. I said, can you imagine? Because they had introduced us at the precinct. They brought us to the precinct. That's why they dropped us off. Mm -hmm. And I said, can you imagine having to work in this place full time? Within 10 <laughs> days to two weeks, the orders came down, and I was uh -huh. going to Central Park. I found out later they do it by zip codes. They, they, uh, that's how they try to keep your commute from being too crazy. Because a lot of guys that I grew up in Ridgewood and Queens and a lot of guys from Glendale, Ridgewood, Middle Village were assigned to the park. And they were trying to make it into a real precinct because for many, many years, for decades, it was like a dumping ground. They would send guys mm -hmm. there, you know, who couldn't get along well with others, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were like, there was like, I guess, 30, 40 brand new people. And then some really older guys, it was a huge generation gap. We were in our 20s, guys in their 40s and 50s that, you know, Vietnam veterans, a couple of Korean War veterans. But these guys had all worked in, quote unquote, real precincts and been through it. And they helped us out. You know, not a lot goes on in the park, but, you know, Stephen McDonald was shot within a couple of maybe five days of me getting there. And that was kind of crazy because my parents were like so relieved that I was going to the park. And then Stephen got shot. Um Got to know him pretty well over the years. He would always come to our parties. He was just a, a really, really great guy. Um, but yeah, yeah well, let parties... me show. Uh, we have a uh, a bunch of audiences, audience members that are not from New York City, maybe haven't even yeah. visited yet, um, sure. as well as people that listen from abroad, other countries. I just want to show uh, our audience who are not from New York City basically what Central Park looks like. Now, I want to show this picture first. This is um, uh, this is Manhattan from like 34th Street up to 125th Street. That's a map. That big oh, that's green a map space. Mark? That's not an actual <laughs> photograph of the well, park. Well, 
Well, what we do here is we not only do we record live visually, but people yes. listen to it on uh, iTunes no, I know, and Anchor. I so you, I, I describe whatever. I try my best to describe what we're looking at so they're not right. sitting there in the fog. But that big green box that you see right in the middle, folks, that uh, that says Manhattan, that's Central Park. Look at how much space that th- that the Central Park takes up. It's not like a small little park that takes one block. This is from 59th Street all the way up to 110th Street. Um, and it goes from uh, Central Park. 800 and, uh, 843 acres for people who think in that way. And there are yeah. about four or five lakes, but only one of the lakes in the park is actually real. Everything else was created. Actually, the entire park was created. Um, and it's, they started working on it around 1859, 1860. And then the Civil War interrupted the construction. I, when I was a kid, my mom took us there all the time. And I always thought they just had put up a wall and preserved nature. But mm-hmm. almost every square inch of the park was landscaped. Rocks were moved and wow, lakes that's were dredged. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Here's another little. This one's a fun well, one. That's an actual photo. Yeah, yeah that's that's something. Uh, these are all the things that you can do. There's, a, there's quite a, bit, a few attractions. Uh, there's a, a carousel. There's man-made lakes, like you said. There's an ice skating ring. That wasn't working for a long, long time. And then Donald Trump stepped in and said, do you guys mind if I fix it? And they said, no, there. go ahead. And then it hasn't broken down since. Just a little too. It, uh, it took the city seven years to get nothing done. And then he came in. And I remember working uh, midnight when that was happening, where they had nonstop uh, concrete cement trucks coming in to fill it because that was the problem. The concrete had to be poured for 24 hours straight to make it what it is. And I think it's the same base that it was in, I want to say that was 1987 when that opened, Mm -hmm. probably the Christmas of 87, the holiday season. Um, Yeah, beautiful. If if you're ever, if people come into New York, please plan to visit Central Park. It's, it really is the jewel of the city. It's not just, and we're not getting paid to say that either. Here are some of the attractions. You got a, Obviously, uh, Columbus Circle, there's a playground, Woolman Rink, a zoo, a children's zoo, statues of uh, the mall, the mall, Shop Meadow, Strawberry Fields. Not that uh, kind of mall. Oh, no? Uh, it's, not a, it's not a shopping there's mall. There's a theater there. There's a med- uh, There's so many. M-A-U-L. Things. Okay. <laughs> no, no, what I'm are you joking. talking about? M-A-U-L. Oh. I said not that kind of mall. M-A-U-L. Okay. Mold. All right. Uh, I actually worked at the zoo for two years from uh, 19 to 21. I was the assistant security manager at the Central Park. Oh, I zoo. thought you were going to f- you say you were filling in for the baboons whenever they were eating. No baboons. <laughs> no baboons. Throw Snow in. monkeys. Throw Snow monkeys. Give that guy Della Pedante, whatever his name is. Throw him in the cage. <laughs> there with you. Tell him to take his uniform off. I was impressed when you pronounced my name in the beginning. I was, I was pretty impressed. I used to have to pay attention to roll call whenever new sergeants came in because they would they would get to my name and just freeze, and I would just go here, yeah. just right here. How, how, how many cops up. are actually working Central Park? Well, when you were there, I don't know how many they have now. Uh, I think roughly it was always around 100 to 125 personnel total, so probably 70 police officers, right? I don't know how that would break down. 20 sergeants, 10 lieutenants, whatever mm-hmm. the math is. I, I don't know, maybe eight lieutenants, seven lieutenants. But it was always – it's funny because I worked with a guy at a job recently – a few years back, who was a, a captain in the Morristown Police Department. And one day we were working and I said, uh, how many cops in the Morristown Police Department? And he said, 40. And I went, what? 
<laughs> I said, no, everybody. I met everybody. How many? Everybody. And he goes, 40. I go, no, well, from like the chief down to the lowest cop. So just that Central Park is probably the smallest precinct by personnel in the entire department, right? And we had 100 to 120 people. It's uh, pretty crazy. And yet they cover a lot of ground, though. That's uh, that's bigger big part, than any precinct. Yeah. yeah. The problem and is what, it's such a, you know, it's a landmark, right? So it, I forget what the number is of people who visit every year. But if something happens in the park, it's going to be on the front page of the newspaper. Oh, it's right? a big that, deal. It's an it's oh, a nightmare. Always. If something happens. Somebody gets robbed in the park. Uh, strong arm robbery. We're going to see. We're going to hear about it. Maybe not now because there's so many things. Even but right now, I don't hear too much stuff go. You hear it going on in the rest of the city. I haven't heard anything coming out of the park in a while. But um, and knock on wood, not that I wanted to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how many sectors do they turn out per shift? What, uh, do you even have a sector? Are they drive. Jesus Christ! Around? I didn't know there was going to be a test. I didn't know there was going to be a <laughs> test. It's only been uh, it's only been 19 years since I was assigned to the park. I could yeah. have had a whole other career there, but uh, we had Adam Boyd, Charlie, David, Eddie. Oh, you did, right? Okay. But but it used to be um, uh, Adam Adam Boyd were usually combined, uh, yeah. and then Charlie, David sometimes was combined. I think Eddie would usually be its own sector. Um, and then you had various uh, foot posts were usually limited to Columbus Circle and the Grand Army Plaza, which would be mm-hmm. 59th Street, 5th Avenue, 59th Street and Central Park West. And then maybe there was a fixer after the Central Park jogger case in, uh, in 89. Mm-hmm. There was a fixed post. It still might be a fixed post. I don't know. That's how the job works. Uh, the 102nd Street cross drive, which was a dead drive, even when the park was open to traffic. Um, they made that a fixed post. And then you had various, it used to be CPOP, I don't know what it is now, I don't know what they call it, various sections where the community policing patrol, which I was in for a while, where you'd, you'd cover that area, the Sheep's Meadow, the Ramble, um, the Great Lawn, it was broken up like that. Um, it was pretty well covered. But the problem was, if there was a problem, if you had an issue and you had a call for backup, the only people you could depend on responding were the cops in the park. Because even the cops in the 19th, the 20, the 28, and, uh, and, and, the, and the North was on a totally different frequency. So they weren't going to find out about it probably for 30 seconds to a minute. And you were going to be by yourself. So you really did, even though, even though very little happened crime-wise, when it did happen, you were fighting against two things, right? You were fighting against knowing that you, want, you didn't have much backup coming in that quickly. And uh, because you weren't doing a ton of that stuff all the time, you can fall into bad habits, into taking, you know, pulling over a car and being too relaxed. So you had to always keep in the back of your mind that uh, you were pretty much on your own. It was like you were a transit cop, kind of, you know, riding the train yeah. by yourself, you know. So, um, I don't you know, know I do you I got- remember? Right. It was a series with Dennis Leary, some cop show. I never really watched yeah, a lot of, uh, that much actually. of it. But, yeah, Joanna um, Bexton was... was in one of the episodes, actually, my, my acting Okay. Yeah. yeah. She played so, Uda Hagen. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can I, find it on that, YouTube. I'll check it out. That's the school I used to go to, HB Studios. Me too. I was there for a little while. That's what I said earlier. Eric Reynolds and I went there in 89 together for a scene mm-hmm. study class. And mm-hmm. uh, 88. I'm sorry, 88. But, uh, man, God. It's a long know, time ago. Right? Sucks. Yeah. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so the, the, the scene, the recurring scene through that particular episode was um, there was a dead body found. And uh, it was on a bench. So he shows up and <laughs> sees the dead body on the bench. So he gets his pawn and the two of them t- take the dead body and just flip it over uh, <laughs> over the wall. So now it's in Central Park. So they have to handle it. So the Central Park cops come and they get 
the dead body and somehow they put it in something and they bring it to the precinct and they dump it in front of the precinct and this just dead body just keeps going all around while they play this practical joke with the do you know that's based on a true story from what i was told oh really i heard that Maybe story, it is. i yeah. heard that story as a rookie where <laughs> no it's, it's horrible but a poor homeless guy froze to death and uh -huh. cops were sitting up in the park. This had to be probably in the 60s or the 70s because that's how uh -huh. long ago I heard the story like it was been told for generations. Uh -huh. And they kept going back and forth and going to the payphone and calling 911. And then the duty captain pulled them over while they had the guy in the trunk. And it was <laughs> Christmas. It, it was the holidays. And uh, there's something called the Holiday Integrity Program where they check to make sure cops aren't shopping on duty to get discounts because they're in uniform, like anybody would uh -huh. do that these days, right? And uh, the, the story, as the story goes, the captain walked around and asked them to give him the keys to the trunk. They didn't want to open it. And he opened up the trunk, looked, and went, Merry Christmas, guys, and left, and then retired within a few days. It's a great story because whether, it, <laughs> whether it's true or not, it points to a much higher truth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to, I don't want to know what happened. <laughs> what is that called? It's, it's a... It's a Megillah. How Remember many cops that? does that's, it take to... Yeah. Oh, well, that's a Yiddish word, Megillah. Uh, but... A Megillah, but there's, there's, yeah. Yeah. Remember, people used, Megillah to say that, uh, people used to say that on the job. Uh, you don't want to go there. It's a fucking Megillah. <laughs> a Megillah in Yiddish, from what I was told, is that if that's for me, I'm not here. Um, it's a long, drawn-out story. That's, uh -huh. that's what a Megillah is. And that's why when we were kids, we had the Megillah Gorilla cartoon. The talking uh -huh, gorilla. Yeah. yeah. What were those guys smoking? Well, I know, right? That, yeah, they you know, a lot of that Mark. stuff. Over here. What, one Look second. At me. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm yeah, recording. Of course. Why would I bother you? Go ahead. No, what my, you do? my son, my um, unbeknownst, I didn't even mention it to the audience tonight. I had to go to the emergency room today. I uh, Yesterday, I went to the hospital. There goes my tag right there. See that? Where is it? <laughs> yesterday, I went to the doctor. I had a pain in my calf. Turns out I had a... A blood clot. That's what I was scared of, oh, and they gave me uh, they gave me bl blood blood thinner. So I took my first one this morning, and then all of a sudden I started getting this pain in my heart. So I got scared. I was like, "Holy shit!" So I went to the emergency room, and I didn't reaction. think I was gonna. I didn't think I was gonna make the podcast tonight, but thank God, like everything, just got really really quick. Like at the end, turns out I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, I do have the clot, but uh, I, I I don't have any clots in my lungs or my in my heart or anything like that. So, I mean, like they say, God forbid. But if it would have happened live, like right now, if you would have uh -huh. just went million views over the next couple of days, easily. Yeah, you know, we talked about that. All, all with stories. my luck, with my luck, I'll be like, all right, good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Click. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody will find out. I'll be here. Uh, so, how many um, cops does it take to screw in a light bulb? You told me this one today, didn't you? Did I? No, no go ahead. I'm, okay. no? Yeah, go thank, ahead. thank you. No, Thanks for ahead. the help, though. Um, four one to screw in the light bulb, and the other three to say, Hey, I didn't see anything. <laughs> That's great. There's a lot of good That's screw great. in the light bulb jokes, but some of them are, aren't appropriate. So, tell us about your one man show. What was the, what was the name of the show? So it was well, at first it was called Shades of Blue because my wife is a my wife, Sue, incredible person, always sees the good in people, always sees the positive in people. Mm -hmm. So I used to tease her and say, you know, you wear was it rose colored glasses? Is that the term? And mm -hmm. uh, 
she said, well, yeah, you wear blue colored glasses or something like that, meaning I see everything as a cop. And I don't think mm-hmm. of it that way. I think I see things mm-hmm. as have a guy who grew up in Queens. That's how I see things. The mm-hmm. police department just might have helped it. But so Shades of Blue was the first. And it was actually John DeResta who did uh, Beat, a Subway Cops comedy. I don't know if mm-hmm. you ever saw his show back in the in 96, 97. I didn't, I didn't I see it, but I know John and I've heard. Uh, I used to hear about the show. Yeah, it was good. Um, it was very good. And uh, that inspired me to write mine. So seeing his show... Mm-hmm. Seeing the reaction he got, I said, you know, I'm a cop in Central Park. It's very different. It's very unique. And mm-hmm. um, it's basically not like, you know, we're not really talking a lot about police stuff right now, like crime stuff. It's more about all of the, I always say, if you put on a police uniform and sit in Central Park for any amount of time, every uh, every wacko is eventually going to find <laughs> you and want to have a conversation <laughs> with you. And mm-hmm. so what I tried to do, um, I, my bar for uh, for entertainment is going to say a lot about me. My favorite movie is Raging Bull because of the uh-huh. honesty of it, right? So mm-hmm. I tried to, when I wrote the show, I tried to make it as brutally honest as possible. And I, the, the, high, the best compliments I got were people coming up to me afterwards, cops, saying, wow, it felt like you held a mirror up to the job. And that, to me, mm-hmm. was the, the highest compliment. And civilians seemed to like it, too. And I just tried to show how at the end of the day, we're just people. We're just every mm-hmm. that's the the bad, the good and the bad part about being a cop is the mythology about it, because then when cops screw up, it's a big fall. Right. And then mm-hmm. uh, so the more people can understand. I used to laugh when people be walking by the police cars and would be eating, talking about a zoo. It would like they would. Oh, ooh, look, they're feeding the cops, you know, and how <laughs> people would be to come up to us. Right. Uh-huh. But just people, just people doing a really, really difficult job. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad I'm not doing it anymore. That's all I can say. I had fun, though. I did have fun. So the one man show you asked was basically written. I tried to make it my life flashes before your eyes. I was never myself on stage. Starts off with my father giving me a speech about why I should take the test, how great the job is, you know, being a cop and how he saw a cop at Yankee Stadium when he was a kid. And you get very quickly that my father wanted to be a cop, but there used to be the height limit and uh, he mm-hmm. wasn't tall enough. And I think he might have had a, a colorblind. That's what it was. And so he became a sanitation officer, but he remained a buff for the rest of his life. And my mm-hmm. brother, John, was on the job. And my nephew, Brandon, is now a Suffolk County cop. And uh, it, it's it, the police thing was always around us. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting off tangent. But, uh, yeah, it's it, I want I wrote the I wrote the show to try to communicate to civilians mostly mm-hmm. what it's like to wear the uniform. Again, not in, a, in an A-house, not in a high crime. There's, there's plenty of that. You don't need that from me, right? You've got Blue Bloods and NYPD Blue and all that stuff. So I was just trying to do something a little bit different. And Joanna Bexon was very helpful because I started studying acting with her, uh, my friend Stephen Harris, who directed my show and co-wrote uh, Shades of Blue with me. Uh, he hooked me up with Joanna can I say hooked up? I, I know it means something different than it used to mean when we were kids, but mm-hmm. he, he hooked her up with me and uh, she taught me the Meisner technique and I found it very helpful. It was a, it actually, it actually helped me enjoy film myself. Now when I'm watching movies and TV, appreciate acting more, having done it and having studied mm-hmm. it seriously for a while. I, I look at things differently than I did before that. More, more appreciative. Yeah. Um, oh man, I would have, I would have loved to see, watch the show, man. That would have been great. I did I mine. Mean, um, a friend of mine asked me if I would do it again. I, I don't know how it how it would read now these days. You know. 
Yeah, I wonder too. Um, you know, now now is a really really odd time. I, I you know I don't think anybody. Listen, we grew up here in New York City. We've been through the good times, the bad times, whatever sentiment there was about police. But it was never, ever like this. I mean, no. you know, you had certain people didn't like cops for whatever reason. But um, this is what what's going on now. Hopefully it's going to get better. It's on the way to getting better. But it just hit a patch there where it was just like, whoa, what the hell? What, what, what kind of people are out there? You know, how, how could you? Um, but, it, it, you know, listen, the people a, that are doing the job right now, God right? bless them. Oh, yeah, 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 it was horrible. And, um, you know, I used to uh, I never stopped. Once I started doing my police material, I never stopped. And the truth is, uh, out of one out of every hundred shows where I say I'm a cop on. I was a cop on stage. Maybe out of a hundred shows, I'll get one person in the all the way in the back. Go, Boo. And then I'll win them over afterwards. And it's just one. You know, yeah. first of all, most thugs are out doing thuggy stuff. They're not in comedy clubs. So right. That, right. That, yeah. that gives you a, a break. But. Um, well, you're very likable. Hear... I, I watch some of your sets online, and, and mm -hmm. if you right, you win the audience over with Stanislavski said the most important thing an actor could have is charm, right? And then you mm -hmm. have it in abundance. So once you once the audience likes you, you can almost you get away with almost anything, you know. So uh, I feel the same way watching you. Like your likability factor up there. I could have, for some reason, I saw you on an extended, like still banging around doing comedy now, big name. You know, or maybe you were a big name and now you're still doing it now. Um, that's the one thing about comedy. It's just that it never ends. You can you can do it forever, but yeah. you're also going back and done a few nights here and there. It's it, but it's like, you know, like I said in the beginning, if you're not taking batting practice every day, you're not gonna hit a home run, right? So I've done a couple of uh open mics over the last few years. What what happened to me was when when my daughter Kiara was born, it was like a, a boom, like a light. And I was driving all the way out to Montauk to do shows. I was driving and I was like, you know what? I, I want to be around her. You know, that's really what it came down to. And then when my daughter Dana was born three years, it just kind of solidified that feeling. And, but I look back and I, Ray Romano and you, you guys, everybody did it and made it work. But I think at the end of the day, it's, I didn't have the passion that you have for it. I didn't mm -hmm. have the, that, 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 that thing that kept you going to all those clubs you mentioned and all those nights and all those shows, mm -hmm. it's a lot. And then the one man show, I've always, I feel I've always kept a toe in the creative pool. Let's call it to sound as pretentious as possible. Uh, you know, I, I've written a novella. I've, I've uh, wrote the one man show. I did a, I did a radio show for a year on WLIB. Uh, that went over big with the cops uh, WLIB, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. liberal, liberal. Of course you're going to be on WLIB. Um, mm -hmm. That was fun uh, with my friend Mike Salmon. Uh, he was a chef, and I played like his Robin Quivers. I was like a comic relief. So I've done a lot of different things. But uh, the night of Chris Rock's uh, incident with Will Smith, I realized that I'm. Uh, I was so proud to be uh, in my heart. I feel like a stand-up comic, and I realized that that night that you know not only is Chris a New York guy, right? He's a New York City guy. Mm -hmm. But he's a comic who was in the trenches from the probably from the early 80s, you know, we're roughly the same age, that he reacted the way he did, that he didn't he could have went off on him for a half hour. <laughs> he could have just been up there, mm -hmm. you know, riffing on him. And he took it like a champ. He really, really did. And uh, it felt really I was like, wow, see, uh, I, I think of myself that way as a comic, you know, more than I do as an actor or a writer or any of that stuff. Uh, to my, Let me, to my um, poor girl, 
life's chagrin because I'm constantly snapping, you know? <laughs> I bet you. I don't think so. I don't believe you. Let's see. Uh, the, no, we'll snapping back jokes. The, I mean, yeah. the okay. dad jokes. All right. We're going to go back to uh, the chat for a second. Just uh, we got some new people. Real with Robo. She says, oh, my God, Mark, please uh, keep an eye on that clot. And no, none of that crap. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Peter Pranza, funny stuff, Joe. Let's see. We got a couple of new ones. Jay Manon. Joe, one-man show was great. So well-written oh, and you. acted. Loved it. Donna wow, B., I saw Joe's one-man show, too. Agree with you. It was excellent. Michalina oh, Serino, wow. she showed up late. She says, hello, everyone. Lucky for you, Marina. Michalina, we're going to go over the hour today. I'm not going to end it an hour. We'll, we'll go for... Uh, amazing, right, that an hour has gone by? Yeah, I mean, this for me, it's very for you hard. and I, I, I don't know. <laughs> there might this be some people. I always that say way. that when you have a good guest, uh, it goes fast. But today, what this, this is ridiculous. I mean, we still have Thanks. seven minutes left for an hour, but still. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pope, um, Harlem is a retired. Okay, he's a oh, retired NYPD. Yeah, Paul yeah, Pope. Hey, he's Paul. representing Apex, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you had a lot of people tune in today, Joe. That's Thanks. Nice. Very nice. Thank you. So, uh, very cool. <clears throat> Kombucha, was that? Kombucha? Yeah, I um, I like to do it uh, for my uh, for my stomach. Nine eleven, I, I got uh, well, not for my heart, for my stomach. But give me probiotics for your uh, digestion. Oh yeah, 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 sure, of course, of course. Yeah, I think nine eleven inhaling that shit gave me uh, it gave me GERD, which is uh, oh, you've got acid GERD, reflux. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that and I sleep apnea, but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> did you put in the paperwork yeah yeah i got money from it it wasn't a lot by oh. the time i went in by the time i went in they cut back on how i was over here like i'm gonna get this amount this amount and then when it i'm like what <laughs> yeah. my daughter actually works for one of the law firms that does the uh that does the paperwork for people uh for the 9-11 she's a case manager and very okay proud of her yeah it's tough because she yeah. has to hear the stories all day long but she's yeah, doing that's great bad news. so you know, I'm yeah, you know, oh, yeah, blessed. Yeah. I'm blessed. If this is all I have, oh, I'm God. blessed. So many people. Absolutely. Uh, it was nothing. But you know, at one point I was I was never gonna put it in for it. But then somebody told me the money's there for you. Everybody who was there right. is allocated right. money for you. All you gotta do is put in for it. And right. I did have uh, you know, I did go get checked out. I go get checked out every year. Thank God, um, you know, everything's still the same. Paul Pope, Joe and uh, Paul Pope, Joe and I ran a very important fundraiser for a very good friend. Yes. Uh, Anthony Federico. Is that all yep. you're going to say? This guy introduces a brand new subject and all you're going to say Anthony is yes. had a, Anthony had an issue <laughs> about five years ago out in Long Island, uh, in Nassau oh, County, all right. <laughs> where, he, where he was actually arrested for something that happened in uniform. And anyone who saw the video pretty much laughed, except for the, uh, the DA out there. And uh, we did wow. a party, I believe, at the, right. Dublin pub, the Dublin pub. And yeah. I hosted it. And we had like a 1,000 people and raised money for his defense. And um, good guy, good family. So. All right. Well, that's that's a nice thing you did. Um, Lord knows, you know, I said, that's one of the benefits I like with, with the comedy is being able to, um, you know, kind of sort of give back in a way. And there's a lot of things that I've done uh, working with um, – you know, Sue Reek and her husband, uh, they have uh, a foundation out there that they're part of uh, Long Island uh, Autism. And I do their comedy show every year. And uh, they're both retired from the job. 
and uh, it it makes me feel so good when I when I do it, you know. And there's yeah, many many absolutely. shows like that, you know, that you feel yeah. good. That's the one thing about it's it's an ad, added extra bonus. You know what? Let's let, while we have everybody. Let's. Um, your wife is a very, very. You're not the only talented one in there. As a matter of fact, <laughs> oh, she, uh, your wife. She's got it to spare. She's yeah, that's her stuff behind me. Actually, that's those are her okay. Paintings. Oh, good. Wow. Subarasi fine nice. art. Um, she has been awarded grants, residencies, and has been commissioned by publishers and advertising agencies to create artwork for postage stamps, book ma and magazine covers, posters, and apparel. Her work has been juried into events around the country, including Oil Paint Painters of America, National Association of Women's Arts, National Arts Club, and the prestigious Sal, Sal Magundi Club. Sal she Magundi has served as down a, in the, she, the village. She served as a juror at the National Jury Shows, teaches adults about art. This is her website. And uh, these are some of her works. These are uh, landscaping. That's very nice of you, that's, Mark. That's nice of you to put that beautiful. up there. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. yeah she, she's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. So many different textures and layers to that. Yeah. Uh, this is another one here. Floro stills and more. You can go to the website and check it out. And there's pieces there for sale. Uh, what else we got here? Sea, seascapes and Hudson River That's scenes. Long Beach Island. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, we went down there for her birthday a few months ago, and then she banged out a whole bunch. It, it's an amazing thing to live with an artist and watch the progression over time and, mm -hmm. and the talent. And she's just, it's amazing. I'm very lucky. There must be reincarnation because I don't know what I did to, I didn't do anything in this lifetime to end up with her. I'll tell you that much right now. No, listen, I'm always fascinated by anything artistic and, um, you know, especially artwork like that painting. It's, it's, I like drawing. Mm -hmm. And How I you like, draw um, I used to write, you know, I used to write graffiti and, um, and, uh, do <laughs> characters and I, and I still yeah. do. You put a piece of paper in front of me. That's all I do is doodle. I can't pay attention too much. Um, that's what I did in school. Uh, well, even in the academy, I, I drew, I could draw everybody in the class, a cartoon wow. character. Of, you know, I took your worst and that, feature. You never studied formally? Nah, just, you know, yeah. just writing graffiti and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, so I always admired artwork. Uh, Peter Prenzel says, be careful with the clock, Mark. The Rosties, or uh, what were you? Oh, we collared them up. Used to call us blood clots. Oh, <laughs> I used to cut I used to cut off their braids. Just kidding. You should probably read that stuff in your inside voice before you read it out loud to the audience. <laughs> nah, I can't. I don't have an inside My voice. My grandmother used to do that. My grandmother <laughs> used to read the graffiti on the subways out loud. Uh -huh. Uh, like she never cur <laughs> this woman never cursed right very proper old irish lady my mom's mom oh look at that fuck bob fucking fuck cock suck anything would just come out of her mouth but it, she didn't think that was cursing but no i'm just reading it i'm just reading what it says your, your daughter kiara she's laughing at me because i i wrote i said landscaping <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh that's melody funny. i didn't even catch that that's funny Melody Campbell says she's very talented and beautiful. Matt Demilio, very awesome meetup right here. All right. That's a good kid. It's a good kid. So um, you mentioned that you do some writing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, 
I wrote a, uh, a short story about a few years back that won a national award. Uh, it's actually about 9-11. It was about a, uh, a canine cop and his partner. Total, total fiction. You know, like everybody, we stood around down there for six months trying to do what we could. Mm. And then over the last, that, from 2001 to 2011 or so, it must have been percolating in my head. And then one day I sat down and I wrote this story about a canine cop responding from Central Park down to Ground Zero because I found this contest online, the uh, American Kennel Club Gazette magazine. They were running this oh, wow. contest. And when you're going to enter a short story competition, they always say, don't join the ones that you have to pay to join. Right. So this was free. So I, I wrote it and it had to be snail mailed in. It couldn't even be emailed. And about four mm -hmm. months later, three months later, I received uh, a call that I had won the competition. And then uh, about a month later, I got a second call that said, uh, you won an award for best short fiction from the Dog Writers Association of America. And the woman who was calling me from the Gazette said, they're the biggest one. And I go, there's more than one? There's more than one Dog Writers Association? <laughs> uh, so like I said, I've always tried to keep something going, creating something. I can't draw. I can't sing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm a decent writer. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at putting sentences together. And, and right now I've got this uh, little novella I wrote uh, based on the conspiracy theories that Elvis faked his own death. So right now I'm trying to shop that around and um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You but, say that uh, about yeah. a lot of people. Tupac supposedly is living somewhere. Right. right. Yeah. Um, imagine if there is a place where all Jim these Morrison, cool guys, right? yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all out. together on an Island somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah, actually a good enough... idea for a play. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? We should work on yeah, that together. Yeah. yeah that'd be good. And, uh, yeah. And if we're, and if we do, shut up for now so this way nobody else steals our idea. Yeah, you, you never know who's looking. Yeah. Uh Scott Wagner. Oh, I forgot to mention Scott Wagner. Scotty. What's up, Scotty? Who do who don't love dogs? Spoken like a true <laughs> cop. Who don't love <laughs> who don't love dogs? <laughs> He's funny. You you said that you got a lot of support. I I eventually got the support from the cops, but it took I remember I had, I brought a VHS VHS tape of myself in. After having done a set, I think not the one you showed at Caroline's, but another one. And after that, I got support. But before that, yeah. it was like, you're not that funny. You're not, and, the fun, mm -hmm. and the funny thing is, and I don't know how you feel. The funniest people I'd ever known, mostly cops, have never done stand up. The guys in the muster room when the TV's on who will comment on the, what's mm -hmm. going on on the TV. Yeah, or yeah, guys yeah. at roll call. I mean, I can name 10 guys off the top of my head that are so much funnier than I am. Uh, mm -hmm. But the difference is getting up on stage right that's the difference is taking it into a club yeah or even into five I, ten if minutes. i if i tell you how many times i said to somebody you're not going to use that are you and then they'll be like use it for what and i'm like no no nothing and then i would just go and write it down and next thing you know it's in my act yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know and i can't no, I even tell you some of the cop bits that i've been doing is you know it's been probably 10 years since i retired and i started working on them probably uh a year before i retired because i knew that I'd be doing them soon. So I started working on them. Um, I couldn't even tell you what was mine anymore and what I borrowed from right, somebody right, else. Right. I just forgot. I, I swore I never would forget, but I did forget. And You're the Robin Williams of the, of the NYPD. Yeah. Robin, well, like you Robin said, Williams I, was known for borrowing, borrowing comedy from other people. But I think it was yeah. the same thing. He was like a sponge. He would hear something and then just jump on stage and with his, you know, scatterfying mm -hmm. type stuff. So... No, I know. I, I but I was I was taking it from people that wouldn't they wouldn't they weren't going to they do were going right. no it was, this was going to yeah. die in that in the in the muster room or in the in the right, TV right, room right. you know what I'm saying but have you ever laughed harder than in the muster room have you ever laughed harder 
than in a van filled with cops who are exhausted, so many. Oh. who are beating each other up verbally. We, we sit through all those classes, right? Those, those sensitivity courses on ethnicity mm -hmm. and race and this. And then you get in a van and there's black cops and white cops and Hispanic cops. And it's like mother jokes flying left and right. And I've never laughed harder than that. At the end of the day, my face would hurt from laughing. Yeah. I miss, I miss that stuff. That's the kind of thing that uh, the camaraderie that, that I miss. You know, and I love I my like I love like um like the just the quick the quick one liner that comes out oh, you know like somebody oh just God. sitting there sitting there like a sniper waiting for somebody to say something oh. stupid and they just throw it in right there you know like to me one that's of my best my friends yeah one of my best friends is a uh, Mike Giacopi very quiet guy retired sergeant doesn't say much but when he says something. It's like a surgical mm -hmm. strike, right? It's just like perfect yeah. for the moment. And I worked with him post NYPD too in, in office settings. And one time he made this hysterical joke. And when the guy sitting next to him turned around to him, he speaks because he never said a goddamn word. <laughs> yeah, those, those are the guys that I, I'm impressed by too, because they're not constantly riffing like we do. And everybody gets it too. Listening. Yeah. I remember yeah, sitting yeah. sitting in the muster room. I'm a rookie, I'm in the Queen's task force. We were in the, the basement Name of the 111, 111 precinct. And we're all sitting there. Oh, I think we were on a meal. And before we went off, yeah, before we went off a meal, somebody walks by. He goes, oh, just so you guys know, um, we're on alert, which means that we could be mobilized. That any, there's a situation going on somewhere in Queens or somewhere where they might need us. So we're not going anywhere after meal. We're going to sit here on alert. So as soon as he goes, hey, just so you guys know, we're on alert. And then he takes off. So then somebody says, uh, alert positions, take. And then everybody was sitting there. It was like kind of had their legs crossed. So then they just you just take the leg down. You put it on the floor and everybody flips the, the other leg over. Right. Alert positions, take. So now we're on alert now. You just <laughs> sat there for another five hours. Yeah, yeah. What difference does it make, you know? Yeah, so many, so many funny, funny things. You know, half the stuff you can't even tell people because – you know, they wouldn't even appreciate the joke. They're like, oh, my God, how could you say that? Well, right. you know, it was a dead right. body. Uh, right. You know, everybody, you, get, you either take it home with you or you just the first thing that comes to your mind to try to break break the mood right now because it's really, really right. so, so sad. Matt well, DeMille, my, my wife Donna, and I have this, we have this ongoing thing about what's funny and not funny. And she, she's got a great sense of humor, but she has like a limit to what's funny because if it involves, you know, children or whatever – that's not funny. And I'll say, no, no, it's, it's in bad taste, but it is mm -hmm. funny. That's the difference. Yeah. That, yeah. Funny's funny. A lot of, yeah. Right. Exactly. That's how I feel. But uh, you know, it's, it's civilians, I would say not meeting, not cops, but people who are on comics, you meet people um, and you know that they have a comic soul because you mm -hmm. know, you can joke with them about anything. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's different than the average person who's horrified that you made a joke about this thing or that thing. And that's why sometimes mm -hmm. I have to use my inside voice and just keep it to myself or find the person nearest me like you who will get it and laugh. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I, Jimmy Shanahan, Jim, Jimmy Shanahan's a perfect example. Oh. Right. I mean, Jimmy Shanahan me, is the, one of the, the best personalities ever. I've ever met. He, and I don't think he's ever done stand up, but mm -hmm. he would take maybe a week to coach him to do a set and he would kill. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I met him in 96, he was doing intact and I sat there in awe. And when it ended, I walked over and I said, I said, dude, where do you do? Where do you do stand up? He goes, Oh, I don't hey, brother, you know, and we've been friends ever since. But, uh, man, just 
on funny, off funny, every type of funny that guy is, you know? Hope yeah, you, you know what? You know what the curse is with him though is that he actually ha- gets his fill from because um, he's had that position that he's had of of teaching yeah. and yeah. being on stage already that he right. doesn't need right. or want to go outside anywhere else to do it. But man, right. I know he acted. Self respect. <laughs> yes, I know he acted, but um, but I'm just talking about just going all in and um, everything. All right over there. <laughs> yeah, something slammed. <laughs> <laughs> that body that you got in the back, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, the body uh, if, fell if, out. Yeah, I mean, he could he could do whatever he wants. He's that talented, and you know, there's so many people like that that are that talented on the police department. And there was a couple of people I was already doing stand up. You know, I was doing stand up for 15 years when I finally retired. When I was still in the right. job, because I started at five years, I guess, right? So 15 years I'm doing it, and I'd bump into people, and I, I'd watch somebody, and they were really funny. And I'd be like, come over here. I said, you ever think about doing stand-up? And one guy, he was an instructor uh, in the academy, and he wouldn't do it, man. And, I, you know, I would I would yeah. have things set up for him to do. Yep. Come I tonight. It's my room. It's my room. Yep. I'll put you right up. It's yep. going to be a nice environment. And he wouldn't show up. He just couldn't do no, it. It's, I, I you, can never you know understand the, why. Well, you know the Seinfeld joke, right? The The, the biggest fear in any survey is that, uh, fear of public speaking comes in one and fear of death mm-hmm. comes in two. That means uh-huh. the guy giving the eulogy, the funeral would probably rather be in the casket, right? Yeah, that's an that's old Jerry great. Seinfeld joke, but, but that's how petrified people are of doing it, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough. to. And now forget about public speaking. Now you have to make them laugh and, oh, they're drinking. Oh, and they're sitting in a dark room and you're up on stage with the only light in the room on you. But I did the same thing. I have several people across time that I've, not just cops, other people too. But uh, Ronnie Dangerfield had a guy. Maybe somebody could put it in the uh, in, in the chat. Uh, there was a guy that Rodney used to talk about all the time. That was the funniest person that hung out with that whole crew back then in the sixties and seventies. I think it was his his best friend that was always with him every day. Yeah, who did and never got on guy. stage. Yeah, yeah, the rest of knows the name. If John's watching, he can type it in. But uh, yeah, re- really, uh, I think that's common. Actually, I think it's very common. Isn't that what Mister Saturday Night was about? The Billy Crystal movie that the brother or the best friend was funnier than he was. But uh, if I'm remembering that movie correctly too, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's you know, he's common. doing it again on Broadway. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that. He's doing you ever see his Broadway. eulogy of Ali? If you, if you haven't seen Billy Crystal's again, if that's for me, uh, Billy Crystal's why, eulogy of Muhammad Ali was fantastic. Well, there's mm-hmm. a button on the phone. You, you can turn the ringer off and you can lower the sound down. <laughs> yeah. I don't know there's why it's ringing. There's a you know what happened future too. I tell you what happened. The other day, um, my phone updated itself. I didn't want it to update it. I didn't. Want, um, yes. In hindsight, I got the the emoji with the uh, the man pregnant, and I can't stop using that. Everybody I send a text message to, I always put the the pregnant guy there for some reason, even if it's not appropriate. Right. I don't know. I just find it hysterical. But ever since I updated my phone by accident, I woke up. I couldn't find my glasses. I'm just shutting off. I think I'm shutting off my alarm. Um, uh, okay. And it updated it now. Now I don't know what the hell's going on in it anymore. Now I got to relearn. It was so probably Elon phone. Musk. It was probably Musk updated your phone. Remotely. Yeah, I wish. I wish. So what does that um, even mean? I, I have no idea. You. Yeah. It's just makes <laughs> so, me laugh, um, but you know. How how do we get you? Uh, how do we get you back up on stage doing something? Either maybe we do a night of one acts. Me, you, uh, you do a half hour. Actually, I do a half hour. 
of, of stand-up. I just wrote a one-act play. No, actually, no, I'm, uh, I'm talking about... Uh, yeah, you know what? You mentioned that. I didn't even get a chance to read it yet. You were, you were in the really hospital. Pissed him. Yeah. No, uh, before the hospital. I, I had it there yeah. when you sent it to me. I was, damn it. What the fuck? Christ almighty. This never... You could ask the audience. This has never happened to me before. I always show my phone. Come on. Does this happen? No. I don't know why uh, they're... Uh, you know, I have another friend, uh, Mel Hancock. He's constantly asking me to come back and do stand-up. And that's when I have done it, a couple of times at his open mics. He runs mics up here in Rockland County. And um, I've done... You know, the problem is, having done it so long ago and now having to do it now in this climate, writing the material, I would have to really uh, police myself, uh, no pun intended. I'd have to be careful about my humor because you have to constantly watch what you say and not say. And not that I was ever... Uh, I'm not a blue comic. I'm not a, you know, I didn't curse a lot, but uh, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will try to do. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that, like I'm watching your set, um, the one that I played the clip of and anybody mm -hmm. can pick it up on, on YouTube. It's Joe Badalamente, common spelling. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot the of, there's a lot of jokes in there that you couldn't, you probably couldn't do right now. Yeah, like put it this way: the one joke that you did about uh, how you met your wife on the train. Now I know it's your wife. That's um, right, exactly. And fun, that joke, funny, funny, that. funny joke. It cracked the audience not a, up. Not a true story. It's, not a true story. <laughs> it didn't happen. But it's your wife. Joke, it's not another. Right. You know. Right. But it doesn't you know happen happened? anymore. Oh, forget no. It. Dice used to have a. A joke about how what he does in the morning, how he get, goes to get a cup of coffee, he gets on yeah. the train, he gets up behind women, he's a, you know a, two loads done, he's back home in bed. And wow, he, I never heard. He gets that. up for Russia, yeah. It was it's, yeah. it's uh, but yeah. he, even even it's a joke. Yeah, I know. It's I know. a joke. It's, Do you know what I'm saying? Tough. But people will yeah. they'll go to the tenth extent. Well, you know we, that's. Uh, you think it's funny, but you know how many women have been raped, this, that, and the other? I know. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's, not, it's a yeah. different time. And back in the 90s, it was so common that women were you know, harassed on the train. And again, it's hard to explain that you're not, you're not, you're using something that exists out there and twisting it, right? And juxtaposing the idea of how I met my wife that way. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, it's just, it's a different world. It's a different world now. So, <laughs> Donna B says the clot is calling. <laughs> it's my clot. It's it's calling. That's funny. Hey, you answered, man. It's a good thing you did run to the hospital. You know how many guys feel chest pain and they do nothing about it? I have a friend that just had, uh, he found out he had two heart attacks. And he used to make fun of me for running to 9-11 to every year to Mount Sinai. He would make fun mm -hmm. of me about it. And I would say, dude, we're getting up there in age. You should go. He was out hunting. He felt a pressure in his chest. Luckily, his wife made him go. 98% blockage in the Widowmaker artery. Mm -hmm. he, he yeah, I don't... He had two heart There's attacks and survived them without knowing it. So if you have chest pain out there, go to the doc go to the emergency room. Don't go to the doctor. Go right to the emergency room. Scott Wagner says, uh, beware the clot. <laughs> That'd be a great name for a horror movie, the clot. Wasn't that a Steve McQueen movie back in the 50s? The clot. <laughs> Beware the clot. Beware the clot. The clot is the clot is coming to get you. Oh yes. my God, that's. Uh, you know what I, I I'd like to say. Uh, it's not that I'm a. I just know the difference between um, 
you know, what, what's supposed to feel like I didn't ever feel my heart beating, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and then all of a sudden I'm feeling something. And I, after I just took that medicine and I'm like, Whoa, this is not good. This is uh, yeah, like fluttering. Was it like, it, was just like beads? A, it just, I guess the, what it does, the, the medicine is it's got to thin your blood out. So it's got to oh, go sure. to the heart. Yeah. And that's what it was I in guess. the process of doing. But it was sounds like uh, it sounded like it was something like uh, it felt like just something unusual. And rather than just take it, a, that was such a cop thing you just did this now. What you were taking like you you just took like you know four years of college, four years of medical school, residency, and then another two or three years of, of the specialty uh-huh. of a cardiologist. I don't know. You, you know, it's it's medicine that thins your blood. It's got to go to your heart, right? You just condensed it all down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. I pr- it's probably a little more complicated than that, I would think. But, slightly, you know, slightly, we'll, slightly. We'll, but, go uh, we'll go with that. I'm scared to it take is the what it is. next. No, but, you know, the doctor didn't tell me to stop taking them. So I got now that I got a clean bill of health, I got to go and take the next one. And I'm going to feel that feeling again. Hopefully, I'll get used to it. That's what I'm thinking. Right, Sometimes you get a small side effect, maybe, of what the medicine is. Like when you take antibiotics, they say don't go in the sun because you, all of a sudden, right things change in your skin and you're more susceptible to getting burnt and you feel yes. the difference. Do you know what I'm yes. saying? And that's kind of yeah, sort of like yeah. this, um, I guess with this medicine too, like, you know, you're going to go through a thing. It's a, it's a powerful thing. So we'll see. Um, when what is else your next can we go? Oh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Let me see if I got the picture here just to promote funny the how. freaking thing. Funny how. Let me see. Do I do I still have it? Yeah, there you go. Look. I'm with Larry Di Gregorio, who's a good friend of uh, John Marooney as well. And oh, okay. uh this this kid, Jason McLaren, he's very funny too. And we're gonna be up up north and Doug, at the Ducktown restaurant in New Windsor. Two forty six Walsh me. Avenue. Yeah. That's a very common if you're not doing area. anything. Yeah, yeah, if you're not doing yeah. anything, come by. Larry was he's retired from the job as well. On the arm, on the arm, or do I have to pay? Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. You know, toll too on the throughway. Is there? You want you want for the toll too? I'm just. Well, when you get there, we'll have a drink ready for you. We'll have a little envelope with the toll money. Uh, what it costs you in gas, and you get up on stage. What do you think of that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> what, what was the date there? It's Saturday, I think. Right? Oh, Saturday. Oh, two days to get ready. Yeah, that's good. That's fine. Yeah, sure. I mean, after 24 years of doing this, like I used to be the type of person that I had to get up like, I don't know, I counted hours a week because, you know, I was doing so much time on stage at a a time as opposed to doing 15, 20 minute spots that I stopped counting my spots. I just started counting hours. And I was like, hey, you know, you get three hours in a week. That's good. On stage, three hours. So, you know, you do 45. Well, you do 45 and you do 45 Friday, Saturday night. Most of the time, the rest of the week, you just got to make up another hour, hour and 15, right. hour and a half. Right. But it, it, usually I would go over three hours. Um, but listen, you did know, you, you didn't need that much time to be a, really good. No, I think I think I've probably six months to get back on my feet again. Six months of doing, mm-hmm. you know, time, I probably would feel pretty good. Did you uh, did you work with Ray Romano at all back in those days when you were no. in all those rooms downtown? No. His brother worked no, with no, us no. in Central I, Park. I met his brother, though. Richie, a great guy. He was a sergeant in the park, and he helped me out a lot in the beginning. He he either overheard, you know, it's a long time ago. He overheard I was doing stand up, 
and uh, he came up to me and said, I don't know if you know, my brother Ray does stand up. And I it was way before the show. This was like four years uh -huh. before Everybody Loves Raymond. And he goes, call my brother. He just gave me his number and I called him. And he was already like an established act working on the road, doing the city. Mm -hmm. And he stayed on the phone with me for about 45 minutes. And the kids that he talks about in his act all these years, they were babies. Mm -hmm. And I heard them in the background. And he was so nice to me and so like uh, helpful with the. Uh, you know, tips about this club owner and that club owner. And, uh, you know, he told me about the guy, Lucian, who ran the comic strip. Yeah. He, he gave yeah. me a little warning. And I, I passed the comic strip. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I started in October and I, I in June, I went up in uh, June of 92. I passed at the comic strip. And um, that was a huge night. I totally forgot about that. Uh, but yeah, Ray, Ray was great. And Richie, they, he deserves all the success he has. Right. Really nice guy. Because met him several times after that, and uh, you know, that's a story that's going nowhere. Other than saying, Ray Romano. No, it's a great listen. Guy. It's it's a great great story. Um, the both of them, the whole the brother's very very nice too. I met John yeah, DeResta um through his brother, and then I did a bunch of shows with DeResta. Um, I don't know. I was at the New York Comedy Club, and one of his brothers came up to me. He goes, "Oh, my brother's Probably a cop Joey. too." Yeah, probably Joey, Joey, and Jimmy too. And then, and Jimmy's got a huge uh, show on uh, on Netflix now and on YouTube. He's got a channel on YouTube called Deresta, where he takes items and refurbishes them. He's like a I don't genius. think they have it anymore. Uh, they the had YouTube it. show. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's, is it on YouTube? No, 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 no. This is just his brother Jimmy. He has his own thing. Oh, called, uh, okay. I know they had their own. I, I they think had two shows. Oh, yeah. Trash to cash. Shows. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty good actually. Trash to cash. Yeah, they had two shows that they did. They, uh, you know, I spent time with John. We we traveled uh, to a couple of gigs. We did something in Vegas as well. Great, great guy. He's got the wood. Wood. Uh, yeah. He makes stuff out of wood in, in L.A. And uh, his yeah. wife just passed away too. I know. So yeah, uh, may she rest so in peace. That's that's very very yeah. sad. Friends. So was he's a great actually lady. very funny. Yeah. He, he's getting out. He's out all the time now. I guess it takes his mind off of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So no, was, he told me he was traveling further now. He's like going to Florida to do stuff, and mm -hmm. so yeah. Well, uh, that's where I'll be Saturday night, and I got to figure out a way. We'll, we'll get you back on the show again. Uh, maybe next time we could, you know, have your wife uh, sit in with you so she can show us some of the arts artwork. Once again, if you if you need the name of his wife, if you want to check out some more stuff, you're interested in buying some artwork. That's very generous is... of you, Mark. Thank you for doing that. Subarasi. That it's Subarasi.com, right? That's it. Just the, the first and last name together. No dots, no dashes, dot com. Not, not Subarasi Fine Art. But if you Google her name, it comes up usually yeah. first or second. I thought I, so, I thought I included that in the photo, but I must have cut it off, cut it off. Well, so it's very nice of you to do that. Wow, man. All this time that went by. Yeah. Do you know Joe very nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. And you and, and yeah. I like you. That's that's the thing you worry about, right? It's like, oh, is this guy going to be an asshole? And you're not an asshole. You're a nice guy. Thanks, man. So do you, so are you. Yeah. Every yeah, everybody always told me you were a nice guy, and I think the reason why they Same they way. wanted us to to hook up to meet each other was because they, they probably liked me too, and they they figured we'd we'd get along. Uh, yeah. At the time, I just I figured you know as well as I did that eventually we're going to bump into each other again you know, at some point, and then it just never happened. So it, it, that it was Mark weird. Zuckerberg. It took Mark Zuckerberg for us to meet, right? I, mean, I know it, it was the it was the Facebook prompt, right? That you said you yeah. saw and well, he did yeah. one good thing. 
<laughs> we need a part two. Matt D'Amelio says we need a part two. Peter Pranzo, Mark and Joe, fun duo. Uh, Jay Manning, Joe, you really make me laugh. You guys are funny. Um, folks, if you enjoyed tonight's show and you want to be part of the, the fun, go to our website and click the uh, subscribe button. And if you feel an impulsion, you really want to help us out, we have a Patreon it's called Police Off the Cuff at Patreon.com. We have three different tiers there. And we also have a YouTube membership. Uh, we have uh, some pretty cool merch as well. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's all I got. Anybody else want to say any important words for Joe here? I'll give you guys a second. I appreciate the time, Mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the um, setup I'm tomorrow. Very, very cool. tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah, this is the club I uh, I bounce at on the weekends. No, the whole thing. I mean, the beginning, the opening credits. You have a nice polish. <laughs> hey, going yeah, on. yeah. My friends hooked me up with that. Yeah, That's this cool. club is just is just a screenshot. You feel like you're in a club right now? I do feel like I'm in a club. Doesn't it feel like an after or, or in a muster room or a muster room? Yeah, yeah. I wish or the Central Park muster room. The old. Did you ever go to the old precinct before? I don't they think so. No, I don't oh, think dude. so. You would be on the toilet and you would hear in the broken tile behind you. Scurrying, uh -huh. scurrying, whether it uh -huh. was mice or rats or roaches or the combination thereof. And uh -huh. when my wife and I were first married, she came home, she was at work late, and I was eating in front of the television. And she was like, Why no, don't don't use paper plates? I don't are you uh -huh. this is like this is palatial compared to what uh -huh. I'm used to, like uh -huh. in a police uh -huh. car or in a muster room, because the muster room wasn't even it wasn't much that different than the bathrooms were in Central Park. When I used Thank to work God in the, they gave uh, those guys a new person. In Manhattan Warrants, we were on 98th Street and 3rd Avenue, which is like yeah, sure. right behind the projects. And the thing that was right next door to us was their um, compactor, where okay. all the garbage goes down. You throw it down the compactor chute. Yeah. Uh, it goes in there and it collects it and it squashes it. The rats that we used to get in this place. As oh. We used to have a baseball bat sitting right outside our lunchroom. And wow. before you walked in, you'd pick up the bat and you hit the wall three times. Bang, bang, bang. And then you'd flick the lights three times and you would just watch all the rats. There was pipes going across the wall. They would all wow. go run on the pipes to get out and go through this hall. And then we'd go in there, eat, and then fall asleep on the couch. You don't see <laughs> that on Blue Bloods, right? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys the used to hang you... out over by the water, right? After work, the guys on the, after the midnights and the 4 to 12s. Down by 96th Street in the FDR. What do you mean, the Warren Squad? I used to see I guys hanging out at like at 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I go, those guys have to be guys who just got off the midnights. So No, we didn't know. do midnights there. We um, oh, it's just The Warren right, Squad did like yeah. a, a modif uh, modified to a day tour. And then, and then it was like some modified evening tour. You like could find a truck. bunch of us at all the... I mean, we, that's the one thing about working in Manhattan. I mean, you're in Manhattan. Like, yeah. You know, people don't realize where you could be working. And when you work in Manhattan, you just take advantage of it. You walk outside. You don't have to drive anywhere. You just walk down two blocks. There's a, there's an Irish pub right there. And there's one it's across my, the street. My, and there's one right around the corner. It's like unbelievable. It's my favorite place so in happy. the world, man. I love, I love, even today, even with everything going on, I love being in Manhattan. It's just, a, you know, if, I, if money wasn't an issue, I'd have an apartment in the West Village. And, you know, mm -hmm. on the 10th floor with a doorman named James. Hello, James. Make sure you shovel the sidewalk, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. There's uh, nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. Anthony Federico, Joe's great people. Wish I could have been on the job sooner. 
with the old Central Park crew. Love hearing stories. Jamie Pimpertel, man, that's crazy. Central Park mustard room, that's crazy. And on that note, uh, Timothy Freher, great show. Uh, we did an hour and a half like it was nothing, bro. An hour and a half yeah. like it was nothing. I'm going to read. I'm going to be in contact with you tomorrow. Yeah. I'm off during the day. I'm going to read the one I play. I'm so psyched to read it. I might even read it tonight. Um, it I may go up sometime in the fall at a theater. I entered into a contest out on Long Island, and a friend of mine's trying to put up a, a, one, a night of one acts in Nyack sometime this coming fall. So who knows? We'll see. Let me know what you think about it. I'm oh, sure I'd love you to. will. I definitely will. I definitely will. You don't well, strike folks, me as shy. Nah, 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 I've never been called shy. That's the one thing. You yeah. either, I bet. You know, funny Folks, thing is, I feel like I am, though. But, you know, you, you, you pretend, right? You go along and then you're just not shy anymore. You know, when I was a kid, I was. Yeah, let me tell you something. If you think I'm being shy, it's probably because I really don't want to get to know you. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love people. I'm a people person. Yeah, I, no, you know, that's too. just yeah. me. You know what I'm saying? I, I talk a lot. I, I can't shut me up. Uh, Lon Devitt. Great show. Ah. You can't make this stuff up. All right, folks. Thank you guys for tuning in. Joe Badalamente, thank you guys. Uh, thank you for, for coming on. You, 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 I'm going to have you back on. I'm going to read the one act. Hopefully uh, hopefully, I could write a one act and uh, we'll, we'll get them all in one night together. That would be cool. And, uh, thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate if it. If you're not doing anything, you know, I'll shoot you that flyer. You want to stop by and yeah, hang maybe out if it's not too yeah. far for you. You know? No, it's fun not. Time. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. All Appreciate right, everybody. Good to meet Thank you. you so much. I hope you enjoyed right. the show. Have a good night. Feel All the better. best to you, buddy. Thank you. Thank Take you care. so much. Good night, Bye -bye. everybody. Good night.